0: Thanks for listening to the Bluff City Apostolic Worship Center podcast. For more information about the church and our ministries, go to BluffCityAWC.com. And you can follow us on Facebook by liking our Facebook page, Bluff City Apostolic Worship Center. And find us on Instagram with our Instagram handle, BluffCityAWC. The internet has really changed the way we ask questions. Look up the last questions you searched on the internet. Some of the more commonly searched questions on the internet include, how much does it cost to go to Mars? And do penguins have knees? There's questions that we ask today that we'd have never asked a generation ago. A man once said that if he had an hour to solve a problem and his life depended on the solution, that he would spend the first 55 minutes determining the right question to ask because once he knew the right question he could solve the problem in less than five minutes. The art of asking good questions can change your life. If we ask better questions, we'll get better answers. Many people that have won the Nobel Prize describe a eureka moment of their discovery when the right question finally revealed itself even if it took them considerable time to come up with the final answers. In other words, some of the biggest breakthroughs in history came as a result of somebody reaching the place where they finally asked the right questions. What does all this mean? Or what can we do to help shift this situation? Or why haven't we thought of how we could make a difference? Powerful questions have powerful outcomes. We see it evident in people like Watson and Crick when they asked what might DNA look like in three-dimensional form? And they discovered the double helix. Several years ago, the company Johnson & Johnson had a uh, crisis on their hands, and the CEO of that company asked the right question. And the question was, what is the most ethical action that we might take? And it led to the restoration of consumer confidence. The man who created McDonald's, Ray Kroc, started the process of beginning that chain of restaurants by asking the question, where can I get a good hamburger on the road? People who ask good questions typically see good results. And if asking good questions is so critical, the question for us is, why don't more of us spend our time and energy on discovering those questions and framing them? One reason that I would bring to you today is that a lot of Western culture and North American society focuses on having the right answer rather than discovering the right question. We are rarely asked to discover compelling questions and we aren't really taught why we should ask such questions in the first place. We have quizzes and examinations and aptitude tests that all reinforce the value of correct answers and you could make the same case for even church gatherings and spiritual life in general. There's something of a stigma that's always been attached to asking questions, and particularly asking questions in church. But I would say to you today that asking questions in church, asking questions as a person of faith, is essential. And if no one is asking questions in the church, then we're probably not growing. Because if no one is asking questions, here's three things. Either one, everyone knows the answers. Two, everyone thinks they know the answers or three everyone is too afraid to ask the questions that they do have and the last reason is the worst i want to take your attention today to acts chapter two where some people started asking some important questions acts chapter two verse seven says then they were all amazed and marveled saying to one another look are not all these who speak galileans And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. Acts chapter 2 goes on, and in verse 36 it reads, Therefore let all the house of Israel know, assuredly, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? There's four questions there in Acts chapter 2. The first one is found in verse 7. When they ask, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Verse 8 contains the second question, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? In verse 12, we read the third question that they had that day, whatever could this mean? And the fourth and final question is found later in verse 37, when they ask men and brethren, what shall we do? In today's vernacular, I would translate those questions something like this, Who are these people? How are they doing this? Why is this happening? And what should I do? I would say to you today, if we can have people ask the first three questions, they will ask that important fourth question. I want to spend a little bit of time this morning answering these questions one by one. I I want to first take us to question number one. Who are these people? Found in verse 7 of Acts chapter 2. The answer, if you're looking at a church, is that we are an apostolic Pentecostal church. You might ask, what does that mean? We are Pentecostal in experience. We believe in a biblical new birth. That obeying the gospel means repenting of sin, being fully immersed in water baptism in the name of Jesus, and receiving the gift of God's Spirit evidenced by speaking in a language that you've never learned just like it happened as we read on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. It also means that we are apostolic in doctrine and demonstration. We get our beliefs directly from the Bible, not an extrapolation of doctrines from church history, but we look to what the New Testament church believed and what they demonstrated. If the New Testament church was doing it, then we aim to do it. That's why we try our best to practice apostolic giving. Apostolic operation of spiritual gifts, leadership, prayer, structure. We look to the New Testament for answers for everything that we do and everything that we believe. So when someone asks the question, who are these people? We take them to the answer that we are an apostolic Pentecostal church. The second question is simply, how are they doing this? Specifically, they're asking about speaking in a language that they never heard and that they've never learned. Tongues are a sign from God that an individual has received the gift of God's spirit and they work as an evidence of that event. And so they're doing it, they're speaking in that unknown language by the power and the unction of the spirit. The answer to this question, how are they doing this that they asked in verse eight, The answer is found in verse four just a few verses prior it says that the spirit is giving them the utterance the spirit enables them or gives them the ability to speak in a language that they've never learned before as the evidence the initial evidence of having been filled with the spirit of god the third question gets us a little bit closer to that critical moment of revelation when the people ask, why is this happening? What does this mean? Paul warned the church that a guest entering one of their meetings and seeing and hearing them speak with tongues would make conclusions of their own. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23 tells us, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and everyone speaks with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? some were unwilling that day at the day of pentecost to concede that it was real verse 13 says that they mocked and said that these men are drunk on new wine what they're asking for when they're asking why is this happening what does it mean is they're asking what is the meaning of this miracle that we're experiencing that we're seeing before our eyes and what's happening is god chose to manifest the coming of his spirit by himself speaking through these people whom he had gained full possession of. They had totally surrendered themselves to the Spirit. We see this talked about in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 and 12, where the prophet prophesied and said, For with stammering lips and an unknown tongue, he will speak this to his people. To whom he said, This is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. The Spirit-filled experience was the rest Jesus spoke of when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It was the refreshing that Simon Peter spoke of in Acts chapter 3 when he said, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, at this point in our story in Acts chapter 2, there's only three categories of people on the scene. The first category is people that are asking. The second category is people that are mocking. And the third category is people that are answering. If you know the answer or have had the experience of being born again, and you're not part of the answer, then you might say that you're part of the distraction. All of us are going to fit into one of these three categories and the church has to be among those that are people that are providing answers to the questions that people have. You can step into a dimension of ministry that you didn't know that was available to you and your role and your participation in the life of the church is important. There's a place for you to make a powerful impact in the life of the church you probably got some of the same questions that i do whenever i read this and i hone in on these four questions that they were asking in acts chapter two a question i've had is how does someone who had this acts chapter two experience become part of the distraction and start detracting during a church gathering how do you reach the place where this is actually something that you've experienced but you've slipped backwards into a mode where you're not really somebody who is providing part of the answer to somebody that's wanting to step into more of God. And my only observation in this story is this. The ones who had just come out of a prayer meeting didn't have any problem being part of the answer and leading unbelievers to their God moment. But the ones who approached God with sleep still in their eyes and dust on their Bibles, so to speak, and a dry spirit that hadn't been immersed in prayer. They didn't have anything to contribute except a skeptical attitude and kind of an exclusive attitude. Meanwhile, there were people in their proximity who were hungry, who were curious, who were searching for answers. The fourth and final question is the one that we're most familiar with but it has its context and its grounding in these three questions that precede it. The fourth question is only made possible. It only bubbles to the surface in the wake of an atmosphere and an encounter with someone who is walking in the Spirit. This takes us to the fourth and final question found in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. What should I do? It'd be good to once again, note the positioning of this question because it comes last for a reason. It comes after the preaching of the gospel. Simon Peter, that day on the day of Pentecost, preached a simple gospel message. And the first three questions that were asked were asked before there was even any preaching. It wasn't the message or the words of the preacher that prompted those first three questions. It was the actions and the behavior, the conduct and the culture of the people. We're trying... We're trying to preach the gospel as clearly and as plainly as possible. When we come together on a Sunday or we have a gathering of any kind and there's a message that's preached, what we're trying to do is to deconstruct some of the lies that Satan has planted in the minds of people. We're trying to get every unbeliever to that place where they ask that question, that place where they look at what they believe and they take a step on this Acts 2 pathway to a new birth experience, but the spiritual ground must be cultivated by the life of the church, the people who make up the whole church. When we are a praying, worshiping, kind, generous, in-tune people, that is the atmosphere where God brings great harvest. That is the environment where God starts drawing our family members, our neighbors, our friends. When every member of the church recognizes what's going on, that the Spirit is leading people through questions and addressing things in people's lives and bringing them to a place of personal revelation, that's what positions us for an outpouring of the Spirit. What it's doing is it's taking them from a place where they are uncertain about how to respond to God, Perhaps they already believe that there is a God, but they're unsure of what he's like or how to make a move toward him. And what this does is it takes them from that place to a place of clarity and to a place of that moment where they finally ask that question, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be made right with God? If you're listening to this today, and you're wondering about the answer to that question yourself, I would take you to the very next verse in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, where Peter answers that question, and he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When we read that verse, when we look at that answer to that all-important question, We believe that it is the cumulative answer for God's people today. We don't separate it from everything that Jesus said and did. We don't separate it from everything that was written in the epistles and letters later in the New Testament. But we recognize it as the New Testament call to action for every person on earth to take that first step in following the steps of Jesus Christ. Let me talk to the church for just a minute and say if we're going to have a, a powerful this is that moment, then we have to have some real what is this moments. God is not the author of confusion, He uses people like you and me to be the mouthpiece for answering the questions that his spirit prompts in the heart and mind of someone who is searching for truth. We're not content to leave people guessing. Jude verses 22 and 23 says that some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Someone needs to make a solemn decision today that I am not going to be counted among a crowd that operates in the flesh, but I'm going to look for those God-orchestrated moments, those God-appointments with destiny, where the Spirit opens up someone's heart to listen to an answer from God. Questions break open the stagnant, hardened shells of the present and they open up options to be explored. The key to your friend's future, your family member's future in eternity, may be locked up in a question that they need to ask themselves. Who are these people? How are they doing this? Why is this happening? What should I do? If we can lead somebody to the place not by manipulation, not as part of a mechanical process, but if we can lead somebody to the place where they ask the first three questions, then they will ask the fourth one. And that's where life-changing moments and revelation occur. The questions that people need to be asked are going to be prompted by you. There are breakthroughs waiting to happen. So we have to ask ourselves the question today. What about me needs to shift or change today so that I can be a person that leads someone to the place where they find their answers in Jesus Christ? There are questions being asked by this generation today that haven't been asked in a very long time. And i don't have the knowledge or the wisdom to give them all of the answers they need but i recognize that there are god moments laying dormant beneath the surface of people's lives on every day of the week waiting for that verbalization of a question that's provoked by the spirit i wonder today if you would take 15 minutes right now if it's possible and be sensitive to the voice of God. Shut everything else out for a little while on this Sunday and see how He might change you so that each of our lives is an environment where God operates and the people around us begin to ask questions that lead them closer to God.